Morning, everyone. Morning to those at home watching online. As promised last week, those who gave me a colouring in, I have the IOU for you this morning, so you can come and collect your sheet and a chocolate um, from last week. And if you're doing it again today, well, then you get another chocolate. And if you weren't here last week, but you wish you were, well, you can have a chocolate for that too. <laughs> um, put up your hand if you follow the NFL. One, two, three, four, five, about five. San Francisco, not 49ers are playing right now. My son-in-law, Dan, goes for the 49ers. Do you know the score? You shouldn't know the score. <laughs> and my... Ch- Sorry? And my team, the Chargers, playing at 11 o'clock, so let's get on with this. <laughs> it's also today is my spiritual birthday. At 4 o'clock this afternoon, I accepted the Lord Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour. On the 15th of January, 19... <laughs> 1973. That makes me. 50. <laughs> that makes me old, is what they said. 50 years. You know what else is important for us today? It's my granddaughter's fifth birthday. Marnie turns five. So she was born on my spiritual birthday. Isn't she blessed? Aren't I blessed? I think Tracy said this to you already, but questions are available at the end over here on near the notice board if you would like uh, a copy of those to examine, to probe a little bit further. I spent a lot of this week just asking questions of Jonah chapter 2, reading it, asking questions, reading it and asking questions, um, and spent a fair bit of time trying to get my mind around how I'm going to present this to you this morning. It's only a short chapter. It contains a lot of... Uh, statements and certainly a lot of biblical truth because it is God's word Uh, but it's also while it's a prayer it's not a prayer this is something Jonah would have written after the event he didn't write it inside the fish it's something he wrote after the event and it's him looking back and it's not so much recording what he prayed there are a couple of hints it's really him recording his experience of what happened to him and the decisions that he came to is really where the chapter goes. So that's where we're going to head this morning in some fashion. Just let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the opportunity to rejoice and to celebrate together and to learn together. Thank you for your word. Lord, could you help us to better, clearer understand this portion of your word and its application to us as we seek to follow Jesus? We ask and pray in his name. And everyone said? When Jonah was thrown overboard um, into the raging sea, it was really, uh, to all intents and purposes, a death sentence. He expected to die. He didn't expect to live. And just to recap, if you missed last week, then Jonah chapter 1 is about Jonah is a prophet who comes from northern Israel, Gath, Hefer, a very small village. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, I want you to leave here I want you to go 900 kilometres north and west, uh, east, and I want you to preach against the city of Nineveh because its wickedness has come up before me. So God said, go. Jonah said, no. And God said, oh. (laughs) 
and then unfolding, Jonah just happens to go down to Joppa where he intends to flee to Tarshish, which is 4,000 kilometres the other way, west. He was invested. He paid for his fare, which would have been costly on this large cargo ship, whatever it was. And as he heads out uh, down the Mediterranean, uh, sailing into the sunset, God hurls a storm onto the sea. The ship eventually starts to get destroyed, Targo is thrown overboard, and eventually, through a process of discovery, Jonah is found out to be the one, and he owns up to it. It's my fault. It's because I'm running away from God that this storm has come. How do we calm the storm? Throw me overboard. And they do. Eventually, they get to the point where they do exactly that. As soon as they throw him overboard, the wind stops and the sea becomes calm pretty quickly. And that scared them. Just like when the Lord Jesus was on the storm on the Sea of Galilee and he stilled the waves and the winds and the disciples said, who is this? Even the winds, waves and the wind obey him. So the sudden ceasing of the storm uh, really put the fear of God into these sailors and they bowed their need, they made sacrifices or committed to making it, either there and then or when they got back to shore. But most importantly, they made vows. They made promises of dedication to God. They became followers of God. They converted, these Gentile sailors were saved. Where's Jonah in the meantime? Sinking. He describes for us in chapter 2 what happens for him. In verse 3, he talks about how the waves and the billows roll over him, so he's on the surface. By 5 and 6 into the chapter, we'll go through this in a minute. 5 and 6 into the chapter, he's sinking towards the bottom. And he uses language which sort of talks about Sheol, the grave, the realm of the dead. Talks about the pit, being brought up from the pit. And he talks about seaweed being wrapped around his head. And right up to that point, however minutes that took, and I assume it is only minutes, he didn't pray. Because the scripture says to us in chapter 2 and verse 1, Here we go. What happened to Jonah? Well, initially he gets thrown overboard. They threw him overboard, 115. God hurled a huge storm. And this is where he's on the surface. You hurled me into the depths. Notice that Jonah, as far as he's concerned, God didn't throw him into the depths. The sailors did. But Jonah's perspective now, as he looks back and reflects on it, is God's hand was in this. God was behind the circumstances of what was going on. The current swirled about me, the waves and breakers swept over me. He's on the surface. But then he's going to sink. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And the question becomes, was the seaweed on the floor of the ocean where he went down to? Or was the seaweed caught up in the belly of the fish uh, that swallowed him? Not sure. Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. Now either inside the fish or personally he's sinking to the bottom. The earth beneath barred me in. But you, O Lord, brought my life up from the pit. Did he die? Some people think he did. I don't think it matters whether he did or didn't. That's not the point. The issue is not his... Well, the issue is his survival, but how God brought that about is unrevealed to us. And then we are told, verse 17, this is the beginning of Hebrew, the book of uh, the Hebrew translation, the Hebrew text is, this is chapter 2, verse 1, this is where it begins. The Lord provided, he didn't create it, he already had a fish big enough to do it, and we still have fish in our oceans that we can identify that are big enough to do it. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, 
And Jonah was in, it says, the belly of the fish, inside the fish for three days and three nights. Just a curious question that I haven't, well, I sort of did figure it out a couple of answers to, but the question is, how did he know it was three days and three nights? Think about that. Well, it's not hard. There are a couple of answers. He was inside the fish, confined. Now imagine what that was like. You're inside, you think you're going to die. You're thrown overboard in a storm, you're sinking to the bottom and suddenly the world goes black and slimy and you realise you're not dead. You're still alive. I didn't die. And then the text will say, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He's a stubborn man. He was running from God and was determined not to do it. But God was pursuing him and turned him around. Like all of us, I guess, when we get into a crisis or a situation in life, we'll often, though we're in a state of stubbornness or rebellion against God, we'll suddenly turn our minds and hearts towards him, asking for his mercy and forgiveness. Well, as I said, Jonah wrote this after the event. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. What did he pray? He said... In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, literally Sheol, the grave, the realm of the dead. Did he die? Or is that just, as it sometimes happens in poetic, in the scriptures, in the poetry sections, that uh, it's a metaphor for, I'm dying here. We use the expression colloquially, don't we, that I'm in hell. When you're not in hell, it's how you're feeling. You're feeling terrible. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. What did Jonah pray? Verse 2 is the only reference to what he said. What did he pray? Help. From the realm, deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Everything else in chapter 2 is not about what he said, but what he reflected on and what he experienced. And he acknowledges, and God, you listened. From the lowest, deepest of the ocean, inside the fish, to the height of the highest heavens, God heard his prayer. And it wasn't vocal, I wouldn't imagine. It was mental. Our prayers go instantly to the very throne of God. That's encouraging. God listens and he answers. Then he acknowledges, as I said, God, as I reflect on this, you are the one who is behind it all. You're the one who hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. Your waves, your breakers. You not only made the sea, you rule the seas and you use the waves and the oceans and storms to achieve your purposes in this world. And he is acknowledging it's something he became aware of inside the fish and it's something he writes later that I acknowledge that God's hand was behind all of this. I said, I have been banished from your sight. That's the second little indication we get of something that he thought, uh, I have been banished. God doesn't want me anymore. I'm done for. My life is ended. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it's often said that when you approach the end of your life, your whole life flashes before you. 
Well, if that was the case, if that's the case, then that sort of thing is happening for Jonah. His whole life is flashing before him. And he feels like he's banished and he'll never yet return. And yet there comes this strange note of hope. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Where does the hope come from? Well, Jonah was a prophet and he knew the scriptures and he knew God. And sinking, drowning, life flashing before him, inside the fish realising I'm not dead, I'm still alive, God must have, still have a purpose for me. This hope comes. Because Jonah knows that God is a God of mercy, of compassion, that he's very slow to anger. He says so in chapter 4 and verse 2. That's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, because he knows how forgiving and gracious and patient God is. Now he realises, I need that. I need God's grace and forgiveness and compassion. And he believes that he'll get it. Somehow, God's going to save him, rescue him again. When did God rescue Jonah? When did God deliver him? At the end of the story where the fish vomits him out? No, that's not where God saved him. God saved him when he went inside the fish. That's where God saved him. Saved him from drowning. Because he would not have lived very long at all. But he descends into this fish. And of course, I'm going to have to talk about it. I don't want to spend too long on it. But I did a fair bit of reading about whales and fish this week. And I gave my son-in-law an ear bashing about it yesterday. You know how we jump up and down, me included last week, and how we become very pedantic and we say, the Bible doesn't say it was a fish. Uh, it does. It doesn't say it was a whale. Remember? It doesn't say it was a, a whale. The Hebrew word that is used and the Greek word that is used in Matthew and Luke does say big fish. Literally, it means sea monster. Which when you think about the ancient world and the ancient people, they weren't seafaring people, the Israelites. They were land lovers. And so when they describe a fish, that's a big fish. That's a little fish. They didn't have the distinctions that we have. And so I did my reading and they have, it's been documented. Did it happen? Could it happen? Has it happened? The miracle is not being swallowed by the fish. That's happened throughout human history. We have documented records of it. I'll give you a couple in a moment. <clears throat> the miracle is what? To be kept alive? You could say that. I think the miracle is the fish obeyed God. God talks fish. God provided, God appointed the fish at the right place, at the right time, to swallow him. As he was sinking down, and his life is, you know, his lungs are pounding because he needs to suck in air, and he can't because he's completely surrounded by water, and suddenly everything goes black, and he suddenly finds himself in this slimy prison, able to breathe. Well, that's unusual. Could it happen? Well, yes, it could. We know the sperm whale is big enough to swallow a man. And there has been a record, in fact, one of the, there are several of these, but the strangest one is in off the coast of the Falkland Islands. There are these two whaling ships and they're trying to harpoon this um, sperm whale. And one of the ships does put a harpoon into it, but it gets away. The other whaling ship pursues it, catches it, and in the process of all that happening, 
some sails had fallen overboard and some got back and one was gone. And they don't know where. You can anticipate where it's gone. <clears throat> the second whaling ship catches up with the, the sperm whale, same one with a harpoon in it, puts another harpoon into it, drags it on board, opens it, and guess what they find? The missing sailor. But his skin had been completely bleached white. And he was white for the rest of his life. His skin was like an albino. His colour never returned. Um, and also, when they rescued him, it took him two or three weeks. He was off his rocker. He was in the captain's cabin and not fit for duty. Eventually and slowly, he returned to normalcy. 1891, Falkland Islands, documented. You can look it up in the International Standard Encyclopedia and you can check it in all other sorts of ways. There's another one in 1928 and there's other ones in 1728. Thomas Goodwin works refer to one. There are numerous stories about this sort of thing happening. A sperm whale... The way it eats is it swims through the ocean, it opens its large mouth and it consumes a whole lot of water and whatever is in it, fish and life and food, goes in. And it closes its mouth. Then it expels all of the water, excess water, and the food that's in its mouth gets deposited in its stomach. It set the throat from that mouth to the stomach is too small for a man to go through. But near the stomach is this thing called a pouch. I have got the name written down somewhere, but I can't remember it. It's like a laryngeal pouch or some name like that. I'll look it up for you later if you want to know. In that pouch is where the whale surface, sperm whale surfaces and blows. That's where the air comes back into. So it's possible for a man to survive in the pouch of a sperm whale to breathe. Nothing to eat, nothing to drink but to survive for a time. Could it happen? Yes. Has it happened? Yes. Did it happen? Yes. And you don't need any of the documentary evidence to believe that because the Lord Jesus said it happened. He says in Matthew and in Luke that they asked for a sign and he said, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, the authorised version says whale. And that's my, I was saying that point before. Sometimes we get a little bit too precious about it. It is a fish. Could it have been a whale? Well, I don't know what it was. But yeah, it could have been a whale. It could have been a shark. If it was a shark, I'd imagine he'd be in pieces, but I don't know. God could put him back together again. If God can keep three young men alive in a blazing furnace... And they can walk out and they don't even have the smell of smoke on them. If God can do that, then yes, God can do this. And Jesus said he did do it, so that settles it. Deal Moody was preaching once, time's gone, I won't tell you that story. We'll move on. You'll have to miss out, 10.30 can hear it. Uh, Jonah says this, verse 7, now he's sinking down again back reflecting on it. When my life was ebbing away, it's an interesting word, isn't it? Ebbing. What does the ebbing mean? You know, ebbs and flows? Ebbing away means it's declining, receding. It's, my life is ebbing away. It's slipping away from me. He's approaching death. I remembered you, Lord. That's when he turns his mind to God. Fish comes, swallows him. 
realises he's not dead, that he's alive, and from the belly, whoops, from the pouch of the fish, wherever, he prayed. And my prayer rose to your holy temple. This is the realisation, the reflection that Jonah comes to. This is a key verse. This is the first verse that hit me when I read this chapter a couple of weeks ago. I went, wow. Particularly in the NIV, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. This is an amazing revelation of an Old Testament prophet. He's basically saying those who cling to idols, if you choose to have false gods in your life, and your idol doesn't have to be a statue god that you bow down to and worship. Your idol can be anything that you put in first place in your life. Yourself. Those who cling to that turn away from the love that God has for them. God loves them. And it could be God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's goodness, all of that. It's encompassed in that word. Those who cling to idols have made a choice. There are two ways to live. You can pursue your idols yourself, doing it live life your way, or you follow God, submit to him and bow to him. And Jonah says it point blank. And it's almost like the penny drops for him while he's inside the fish. Oh, I get it. I know now why you want me to go to Nineveh. Because those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the love that God has for them. And if he got that inside the fish, that doesn't stay with him for long. Because by the time he gets to Nineveh, his old prejudices and his old attitudes have returned. And he's pretty cranky when God is merciful and forgiving towards the terrible Assyrians. It's a great verse. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from, forfeit. Ooh, what happened there? Can you try and get that? Does this say let's break? Is that the last verse? No. Here is the conclusion. This is Jonah's resolution inside the fish. He resolved, but I with shouts of grateful praise, I'll give thanks to God. I will sacrifice to him, both a sacrifice of thanksgiving, but also when I return to the temple, I will return to worshiping him. He loved the temple. He knew the words of the temple. He knew the songs of the temple. He knew the Psalms. Scholars who pour through the scriptures very carefully, and sometimes they're critical scholars, they're not believing scholars, they say that this was a concocted chapter because Jonah quotes 11 verses, 11 passages of scripture, and they say, therefore, it's concocted, it's manufactured, it's made up, it's not real. I don't think that. What I think is that Jonah was a prophet who knew God, loved God, um, until he rebelled and ran from God. But because he knew and loved God, he knew God's word. And so what was inside him, God's word, when he prays, it comes out. Nine allusions to the Psalms, one to the book of Job and one to Lamentations, he quotes from. He was a man who knew the word of God and who prayed the word of God. But I, with grateful shouts of praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. What I have promised, I will do. I said I would obey you, I will obey you. You said you want me to go to Nineveh, I will go to Nineveh. That's worth pondering. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us that we ought to be very careful when we come into God's presence about the words that we use and say, and if we make promises, you better keep them. God takes us at our word. What I have vowed, I'll make good. Conclusion, 
center verse to the whole of the book of Jonah, salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation doesn't come from self. Salvation doesn't come from people doing their own best efforts. Salvation comes from the Lord. He is the one who saves us. And as soon as he comes to the realization of that, God commands the fish to vomit up Jonah, and it does. Probably, we don't know where, but my best guess is near Joppa, the very starting place of where uh, he went from. God has a way of, when we get off track, he'll bring us back to that point of departure where we departed from, and we'll start again. So verse 10 should come up. And the Lord commanded the fish. It vomited Jonah onto dry land. I love the little story of the little girl who was looking at a children's Bible, and she saw this magnificent picture of uh, the whale in the distance floating away, and Jonah just vomited up on the shore and she's looking at it very carefully and examining it and then she says where's the sick it's a nice picture of Jonah on the beach fish floating sailing away swimming away and there's no vomit when he came out he would have stank what an experience yuck saved, relieved but you'd need a bath, wouldn't you? It's interesting, scripture doesn't say it because he didn't do it because this is what happens when you surrender to God and you vow your vows and you make your promises to follow him. He doesn't go and find another ship to go to Tarshish. He's going to go to Nineveh. He changes direction. And that's what happens when we line up our life with God's will and purposes. Those things, we head off in a new direction. When we come to know the Lord Jesus then life changes and he works his purposes out in our life. So what does all of this mean for us, this chapter? Well, big picture, it's but God. Jonah was rebelling against him, but God. God intervened. And that expression, but God, appears almost 100 times in the scriptures. It's 45 times it's but God and it's 60 times or just over, but the Lord. God is active in the affairs of our world. God is active in your life. And God is the one who can change things. Jonah ran from God. Chapter 2, Jonah turns to God. Chapter 3, Jonah goes with God. That's the direction. Proverbs chapter 15, 10 says thus, that stern or harsh discipline awaits those, anyone who leaves the path. Stern or harsh discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. There was a woman in a car driving down the highway and you would have had this experience. I certainly have. And then coming up from behind her, she could see in the rearview mirror this large, this truck approaching very quickly and coming uncomfortably close. So she sped up. He sped up. Keep getting closer and closer and closer. The faster she went, the faster the truck went. She couldn't shake him. She panicked. She's getting very scared now. So she exits from the motorway and she goes down the ramp. So does the truck, pursuing her, following her. She then turns and goes up the main street where there are traffic lights and she thinks the lights and the the traffic of the main street will slow him down, surely. And he followed her right behind her, down the ramp, up the main street. He even went through a red light so that he could stay right on her tail. 
Now she's really scared and she pulls into a petrol station, she jumps out of the car, runs inside yelling out, help, help. He stops the truck, gets out of the truck, goes to her car, goes to the back door, opens the back door and pulls a man out who had been hiding in the back seat, who intended to rob her or harm her. She was running from him, from the wrong man. She was running from the truck when the truck driver was really trying to help her and save her. So too, for many people, they're running from God. And God is just wanting to save you. God's wanting to do what's best for you. And God is ready and God is able to save you. He invites you to do so. If you do these four steps, then he can save you. Number one, own the fact of your own sinfulness, of your own need of salvation, of your own waywardness, that none of us are perfect. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Own that for yourself. Not just in your head, but in your heart, sincerely. Number two, say it to God. Confess to him that you have rebelled and you, would, you want him to forgive you. You want him to save you. Ask him, number three, to do that and to receive Jesus, to come into your life, to be your Lord. And number four, trust him and commit to follow him. Turn from doing it your way, self, your idols, and turn to him and he will save and he'll put you on the right path. If you take those steps today, then he is in the process of saving you. And tell someone after the service, I took those steps. And then you can pray together. All of us need to be at step four, to follow him and to commit ourselves to obeying him. Not to be like the little goat who lived in the jungle. And the little goat who lived in the jungle always wanted to be a lion. And the little goat thought, if I can walk like a lion, if I can talk like a lion, and if I go where lions go, then I'm a lion. So he practiced. He would swish his little goat tail, thinking it's a great big lion's tail. He would walk majestically and strut like a lion. He thought he was a lion. He started to talk like a lion. From his little into a He convinced himself, I'm a lion. I've got this nailed. Tomorrow I'm going to go where lions go. And he did. At lunchtime, he went there. End of story. <laughs> End of goat. He had a good idea, but he didn't have the right stuff. If it walks like a duck, if it looks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, it's a duck, isn't it? And that's what he's thinking. If I go where Christians go, if I talk like Christians talk, and if I sing what Christians sing, then I am one. No. You're just a lion. Lying. What we need to do with those four steps, not to go through the outward motions of pretending, but rather to surrender our life to him. The God who loves us pursues us. You might be in the middle of a crisis right now. God's knocking on your door. God is pursuing you, not to scare you, but to save you, to get your life right with him. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you that you choose to involve us and allow us to be part of what you're doing in the world, to spread your word for your kingdom to come into people's lives and for your witness to be shared. Lord, we are the body of Christ. Could you use our hands and feet, our mouths, our ears to listen and our hearts to feel compassion that people might see you, your will and your work being done in our lives. Heavenly Father, if any of us are reluctant like Jonah, then pursue us. Lord, if we're doing what you called us to do, what you made us for, how we should fit into the body, then Lord, continue to help us. We are yours. Take us and use us for Jesus' sake. And everybody said? The Lord bless you people. Have a good week. Pursue God with all that you've got. Don't forget questions are available. Boys and girls, don't forget to get a chocolate if you've coloured in that colour.